Good morning to you. Uh, if we haven't met, I'm one of the pastors. My name is David, and we just want to continue to welcome you and invite you to continue pressing in today as we uh, turn to God's Word found in the Bible. And I'm going to read uh, scripture for us, and then uh, I'm going to invite up our guest speaker afterwards uh, to uh, teach us from this amazing passage in John chapter 15. This is the word of the Lord for us this morning. In verse 1, it says this. Jesus is speaking. He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples." It's God's word for us this morning, and this morning I'm excited to uh, introduce our guest speaker today. I, I was at a conference, I think it was last year, uh, and I heard Alita speak, and it moved me, and I, I just heard her speak this, a message very similar over in Nickel Hall, and it moved me again, um, and I'm really excited for her to come and to teach us from this passage today. She wears a lot of hats, she'll fill you, fill you in on that. She's a wife, a mother, a pastor, and a student um, and, a, and most importantly, a follower of Jesus who really does love him as a gift to teach God's word. So I'm going to invite Alita up, and I'm going to pray for her. Why don't you give her a, a Central Heights welcome as we invite her up to teach today. So join me as I pray uh, for Alita. Jesus, we have sung to you. We have responded to you in worship for the God you are and all that you have done, and we worship you, and we declare that this place, this house, is your house. It's not about us, but ultimately is about you and what you want to do in this moment, and so I pray that you would come, Jesus, and through your spirit, you would work through your servant, Alita, that you would fill her with the power of heaven to speak your word, to teach your truth and to draw our eyes and our affections to Jesus and the life of abiding. Would you empower her to do that now? And would the word that she speaks not come back empty, but would accomplish the purpose that you send it for? And may you get the glory for everything that comes from this moment. Be with Alita now as she teaches. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. All right. It is so great to be here with y'all. Um, I, you're going to hear me probably say y'all a few times. I am uh, originally from Houston, Texas, um, and so I, it's kind of one of those things, you know, you can take 
the girl out of the South, but you can't take the South out of the girl. It's just, y'all is in me. I'm going to say it. It's just part of who I am. Um, and I do wear a few different hats. And so I am married to my husband, Ryan. We just celebrated our 21st wedding anniversary, which is wild. Yeah, thank you. Um, and it's been awesome. He's my best friend and it's... Um, it's great. And then we have four kids. Our oldest is 18 and graduating this year and moving to Germany. And I'm having, you know, like, you know, parents who've gone through this before, you can come and you can counsel me after this. It's fine. I'm fine. We're all going to be fine. Um, <laughs> uh, very excited for him. It's a great uh, season of, of releasing him. He loves Jesus. He's going to be good. Um, and then we have, uh, so that's our oldest. And then uh, we have three boys, uh, our oldest 18. Uh, the other two are in there somewhere. I can't remember how old they are ever. Um, and then our youngest, though, is a girl. And she was, she, we call her a bonus baby. She was a surprise. She's eight. Um, and she's awesome. So, yes, I have a third grader and a 12th grader, and it's really crazy. I'm, it's awesome. Uh, I'm on staff at the Way Church in Vancouver. Um, previous to that, I was at CLA. Maybe you are familiar with that in Langley. And so I was on staff there in women's ministry and loved it with my whole heart. And then God called our family to go be part of this awesome church in Vancouver. And so I'm part of the pastoral team and the teaching team. And it's just the joy of my life. And then I'm in my last, my last five months of my graduate program at Regent College. So close to finishing and um, very excited to be almost done with that. So those are my hats. We all wear a lot of hats. Those are just mine. And um, very, very thrilled to be here with y'all today. Before we jump into John 15, I want to share a little story with you guys. Um, on December the 29th, 2011, I got on an airplane in Mobile, Alabama. We were uh, living there at the time. And we got on a plane, I did, with my three very young boys. They were six, three, and one at the time. And we flew here to Vancouver. And my husband, Ryan, had moved here uh, four months prior to us uh, because we were relocating. And so he was already here, and he was on the other side of the uh, customs there at the YVR airport. And um, I don't know how familiar you are with YVR, but you kind of come down the escalator into the customs sort of zone where all the border patrol agents are. And so this was in 2011 before Nexus was like a big thing. So it was pretty, I remember coming down the escalator and that was just like a full, um, full lobby or whatever you want to call that area. And I remember standing there in the customs line with my three boys and um, I was kind of half thinking, half praying, like, please don't let us in. <laughs> like, I was looking for the m meanest looking border agent, you know, like maybe I can get in their line and they'll ask me too many questions and be like, no, you know, I, I was kind of praying, like tell us to go back where we came from, that you uh, do not want nor do you need immigrants from Alabama. Like just go back to the South. Um, but the thing was, I knew that God had called our family here. My husband and I both did. Uh, but for the life of me, I just couldn't figure out why. 
Like, why, why, Lord? And the thing was is that I liked Alabama. Even though I hadn't grown up there, I went to college there, I liked Alabama. It suited me just fine. You know, like, there was sun a lot, a lot of sun. It was hot. We put up Christmas lights and shorts, true story. Um, I, I loved it. And I, I lived about a mile from my parents at the time. My mom was very involved in, in, helping, um, in helping me with my kids. And life was very good. It was just comfortable. And now, don't get me wrong, I, I love, love Vancouver now. I love it. I love Canada. I love all of it, even with this, you know, minus whatever degree weather that we're in right now. I love it. Helps that it's sunny, am I right? Like, at least it's not overcast and cold. It's sunny and cold. Um, but then, in 2011, I remember very well, I was 28 years old, and ha moving here with, with three kids in tow, and leaving everything that I, I knew at that time, leaving my family, leaving my, my country, leaving my, my church and my friend group, um, I didn't want to do any of that. I didn't want to start over again. And so as I stood there at, at the YVR airport, just like begging the Lord for a Hail Mary, the primary question on my heart that day was why? Like, I know that you have called us here. I know it. But if you could just tell me why, I might have an attitude adjustment is what I'm saying, Lord. Like, I might be a little more on board if you could just give me the answer as, as to why. It felt like there was so much mystery involved in it, at least to me. Why, Lord, would you uproot us and send us so very far away? Um... Well, spoiler alert, the customs people did let us in. <laughs> and I, you know, I think back on that, I'm like, you know, they, they actually let us in a little too easily. They didn't ask very many questions at all. Um, they let, we came right on in, not, not a big deal. Um, but that day for me began a very hard leg of my own personal journey with the Lord. And I know if you're here and you're like, oh, I've moved a ton in my life. It's just that was not my story. So that was the thing that was hard for me. I, I was not used to it. It was very, came very out of the blue. And so that was the thing for me. It was very hard. And moving for our family anyways seemed to uh, impact everything. It definitely took a toll on our finances. I don't know if you've moved in between countries before. It's expensive. Um, and we happened to move during that one like six month window or maybe it was a year, I don't know how long, when um, the uh, rate here in Canada was better than in the US. So we actually lost money moving in. It was wild and then it went back. As soon as we moved, it just went back to the way it was. Um, anyways, but it took a toll on our finances. It definitely took a toll on our marriage. It took a toll on our dreams, on everything. And I think as I reflect on that time, the very worst part about that, for me anyways, was that it was the first time in my adult life where I felt far from God. Where I was living in obedience, I was doing the thing, I was spending time with him, but how is it that I just feel far from you? I felt completely uprooted from a place I loved by a God I loved. And I couldn't understand the why behind it. And he planted me in or us, all of us, our family, he replanted us in unfamiliar foreign soil, literally. Replanted us in a place that, it, at least for me, I didn't want to be, but knew I was supposed to be. And that was the tension. 
And for many of us here today, I am willing to bet that uh, there are a number of us, if not all of us, who at some point in our lives have felt called out of a place where we were comfortable. Felt like we were being moved out of a spot in which life felt easy and comfortable and we were being moved into something else. And if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus and you haven't experienced that yet in your walk with Jesus, um, you probably will. I don't know how else to say it to you. At some point in your life, you probably will experience him moving you. Now, I don't just mean a physical location. It could be. That happened to be what it was for me. But it can be other things. And I'm talking um, more about those times in our lives where we sense the distinct feeling that God is, is calling us out of one thing and into something else. Moving his hand even from one thing and on to something else. The times when it feels hard and uncomfortable. Not like the, this is going to be an adventure kind of thing. This is going to be awesome. Not that. But more like the, what in the world are you up to, God, kind of thing. Why would you move me here? Or why would you want me to go there? Or why do you have me here? So in John 15, we just read it. I'm going to read it again. And only because I want you to notice as I read it, how many times the word remain comes up, okay? So these are the words of Jesus. Just do a mental count. Um, who knows? Maybe I have a prize for whoever. No, I don't have a prize. I don't, <clears throat> no gift card. I thought about it as you were reading it, and I was like, oh, I should have brought, but anyways. Okay, just keep count how many times Jesus says the word remain. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Eight verses. Eight verses. Did anybody catch how many times? Eight, eight, eight times. Great, I heard it. And eight times, and it should cause us to pay attention. Whenever there's a word repeated like that, that many times in a short, condensed part of scripture, um, hopefully it causes our eyes to kind of pop open and go, okay, what are you doing here, Lord? Why is this um, being repeated? And what's interesting, the, the New Testament was written in Greek originally. So if we go back to the original language, the word that was used here for um, remain, in the original language, it was an imperative. And all that means is that it was a command and not a suggestion. 
when you think about what the word imperative even means, it was imperative that they listen to what Jesus was saying. This was something that Jesus was issuing to them as a command. He was issuing a command to his disciples. And by extension, therefore, is issuing a command to all of us here sitting in our 21st century heated building. Jesus is saying to us, I am commanding you, not suggesting to you, but I'm commanding you to stay connected to me as my followers to abide in me, that's the other word that's used here, abide, depending on what translation you use, to remain attached to me, to continue to be present to me. It's a continuous thing. And this is intriguing to me that this is an imperative thing because this is not Jesus giving us a fair weather command. In other words, Jesus isn't saying, hey, listen, you can remain attached to me just as long as things feel good and right to you. Or you can remain attached to me as long as you understand what it is that I'm up to. You don't understand, you can go. He's not saying that. He is telling us to remain attached to him and not just in the good times and not just in the easy times or the times when life just feels blessed or whatever word it is that we want to use for it, but also in the very hard times, in the seasons of hurting, and of loss, and of loneliness, and, and of uprootedness. On the days when your job feels fulfilling, you remain attached to him. And on the days where your job feels draining, you remain attached to him. On the days when money is good, and on the days when just, well, there is no money, like you remain attached on the days when children are awesome and parenting feels so rewarding, and on the days when our children are less than awesome, <laughs> and parenting feels borderline impossible. You go to Amazon cart and you start picking all the parenting books that you haven't read yet. On the days when our marriages feel beautiful, and on the days when they feel broken, on the days when our singleness feels so fulfilling and on the days when it feels lonely. The command from Jesus is at all times and in all places, highs and lows and everything in between, we remain attached to him. And so if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus and you've given your life to following in the ways of Jesus, then remaining attached to him is actually just not optional. He's not suggesting it. He's telling us it's imperative for our survival that we remain attached to him. And I don't know what your relationship is like with the Bible or with scripture, but I'll tell you how mine is. When I, when I read things in Scripture, this is just the way that my brain works. Um, I read these commands from Jesus and, and, and Paul and different places in the New Testament. And I'm like, okay, well, the question I have is I hear what you're saying, but how do I do the thing? Like, let's take it out of here. Like, I hear the command, but how do I actually walk it out with my actual legs and with my heart and with my mind and in my home with my kids when they're crazy? Like, how do I, how do, I do this? And so that's the question I wanna just um, put before us in our time together today. How 
are we to actually remain attached to Jesus? If we look back at verse one, I think it offers us an answer. The text says, or Jesus says, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. I want to stop there. My father is the gardener. There is a gardener in this story. And I wonder if often when we read this story, he gets overlooked. If we just kind of move right along, if you're familiar with this story, I, I think that this is the way it's been for me a lot of my life, where I've read this story and I'm like, hey, um, Jesus is the vine and we are the branches, which is right, and then stop there and that's it. What I have failed to see for so many years is that God is the gardener in this story. And depending on what uh, translation you might have in front of you, there's another word that's often used and it's the word vine dresser. And I think that that's my favorite and it's actually the most accurate translation of, of this word from the Greek because most scholars agree that the word um, or that what Jesus was doing here was describing a grapevine. That's what he's describing in John 15. And so the word vine dresser to describe God is a very accurate term. And so the question, how are we to remain attached to the vine, to Jesus? I want to suggest to you today that the way we remain attached to him is by trusting the work of the vine dresser, of our vine dresser, of the living God. And um, I have been studying John 15 for about uh, two years now. And I have gone, I have done so much nerdy research on this. And I have been very curious about what it is exactly that a vine dresser does. Okay, John 15 tells us that God's our vine dresser, he's our gardener. What does a vine dresser do when they're tending to grapevines? And so I want to read to you a real job description of a vine dresser. Um, I didn't pull this from like a Christian blogger or anything. I don't even know if those are a thing anymore. But this is real, okay? This a non-Christian wrote this. But I'm, as we read it, I'm going to ask you to think of this through the lens of God as the vine dresser, okay? So I'm quoting now. It says this. The production of fine wine starts not with the plant, but with a skilled vine dresser. Vine dressers are agricultural specialists who oversee the planting, pruning, and tending of grapevines in a vineyard. And the job of a vine dresser is physically demanding and tiring. They must maintain proper soil. We're going to talk more about that in a minute. Maintain proper soil. They must irrigate, weed, fertilize, and protect the branches that are beginning to bear fruit from birds and animals. And finally, they must prune. God is our gardener is our vine dresser. He does a lot of things with us. But for the sake of our time together today, I just want to talk about two of the things that he does that help us remain attached to Jesus. In his role as our vine dresser, God plants us and he prunes us. Those are the two things I want to talk about in our time together. He plants us and he prunes us. So the first thing that the living God does, he plants us. He plants us. Um, and <clears throat> this is so interesting to me. Uh, a vine dresser does not just plant a vine in any old place. They don't just plant it anywhere. This is so fascinating. The kind of soil that grapevines need in order to thrive isn't just nice, smooth soil. 
In order to thrive, grapevines actually need very rocky soil. Think of um, gravel. So the environment in which a grapevine thrives best is actually on a, a sloped hillside full of rocky soil, gravelly soil. Uh, you can bring to your mind uh, maybe an image of um, pictures of something you've seen maybe in, in Italy, like vineyards in Italy or, or in Napa Valley or um, for those of us who haven't been there, to the Okanagan, um, which is actually, a if, you, if you're from the Okanagan or you've been there, uh, to, it's a beautiful picture, I think, um, the Lake Okanagan with all the vineyards that you drive by just on the side. It's just a beautiful picture. That's exactly the kind of place that grapevines grow best. Now, here's the thing. So uh, a grapevine actually can grow just fine in regular old soil. Uh, so like if, if you decided, let's grow a grapes in our backyard, you could go today. And maybe not today, it's freezing outside, don't do it today. But in the spring, you could go and you could plant yourself a grapevine. And it would do fine if you just have like regular soil in your backyard. It would do fine. But if you give grapevines an easy environment where there's no rocks or, or anything to challenge it, there's nothing there that will challenge it. What ends up happening is that it takes the vegetative route. In other words, it makes a whole lot of leaves, big, beautiful, green leaves. And it is real pretty to look at, but it produces nearly no fruit, no grapes, maybe a few, but not the amount that it's intended to make. It produces fluffy, full green leaves but no grapes. I want to read to you an article from a website. Um, they rate wines. They compare wines. And one of the um, people who runs this uh, site, he wrote an article entitled, Why Does Bad Soil Make for Great Wine? I love the title of that article. Why Does Bad Soil Make for Great Wine? And this is what he writes. He says, why do we need slate and sand and clay and rocky, precipitous hillsides to produce wines of character? What a great phrase, wines of character. Can a grapevine just kick back in some decent soil and grow well-rested, plump little berries? Well, sure it can, but not if you want good wine. There are a few reasons that bad soil yields higher quality grapes. In poor soil or rocky soil, roots have to work harder to gather nutrients. So when a grapevine has to struggle, it reprioritizes. And instead of creating a beautiful but undrinkable canopy of green leaves, all of its energy goes into root production and the making of grapes. Um, in October, my husband surprised me big time um, with a trip to Napa. And the reason he took me was because I told you about two years of studying vineyards and I'd never actually been to one. So he was like, I'm going to take her. And I think we have a picture. Um, okay, so this is from my, my phone. <clears throat> uh, I'm not a photographer, as you can clearly see. But uh, I wanted to, to show this to you because, and this is going to maybe make me sound a certain kind of way, but turns out that Napa Valley is a valley. Um, and... <laughs> So I was there, and we're going to these vineyards, and this is one of the ones we were at, and they're all flat. 
right? And here I'm like, but I thought it was supposed to be slopey, y'all. And I don't want to, like, can I talk to your <laughs> head vine dresser and tell them they've got it wrong? Um, no, but I did go in, and I was just the nerdiest. Like, it was, it was a fun trip, but I was there with, like, my pen and paper. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, with my books there. And I was like, can I, like, can you take me out and talk to me about your soil and why? And they were like, just relax, lady. <laughs> sit down. Um, anyways, so I, uh, I did get a chance to talk to the different fine dressers and ask, why do you snip and why do you cut and why trim here and all the things. And, uh, but what was most, the number one question I had was, I thought it needed to be on a hillside. Why, why are they flat? Not all of them are, but a lot of them, many of them are in flat terrain. And so at the very last vineyard, the head vine dresser came out, uh, or one of the head vine dressers, and I asked her and she said, she kind of looked, you know, side to side because her vineyard was in flat terrain. And she said, well, and I'm quoting her. And I asked her to repeat it, and I quoted her because I wanted to get it right. She said, sloped is better because it makes the grapevine work harder. The grapevines down here in the valley, in the flat terrain, they don't have to work as hard. So they're a little bit spoiled. They've got it easy. They make good wine just not as good as the ones that are on the sloped hills because they have to work for their grapes. And that was so impactful to me as I sat and listened to her because it confirmed everything that I'd already learned, but it's just this reality of the fact that grapevines need to struggle in order to thrive. It's just part of the way that they've been created. And, and this is what's important for us to know, that a skilled vine dresser knows this. And God is the skilled vine dresser. And so he plants us where we will be forced to struggle our way into fruitfulness. Not to kill us, but to get us into fruitfulness. But sometimes it does, it can feel like the vine dresser is just out to kill us. Like where we're planted is just killing us. Like we knew it would be a struggle, but this much of a, of a struggle, excuse me. Like we knew it would be hard, Lord, but this hard, I, won't, I wasn't prepared for this level. And not only is it hard, but I don't even feel fruitful. And what I want to encourage you with today is that our vine dresser, the living God, he actually plants us in these places, in these sloped, rocky places on purpose because he knows that that's where we thrive. It's the way he's created us. Now, please don't misunderstand me today. I'm not talking about difficult soil, or sorry, I am talking about difficult soil. I'm not talking about deadly soil. And there is a difference. God isn't calling any of us to that. I'm talking about the difficult times, not, not, not the, the deadly soil we sometimes get ourselves in. We sometimes plant ourselves in. I'm talking about the times when um, the, the difficult things where quite often we know he's called us into something hard, but we don't understand. Or some, if you're like me at all, sometimes you just kind of get flat mad about it. And what I want to suggest to us is that God does not desire for us just to live our lives on the path of least resistance. 
He does not desire for us to just always live our lives in the comfortable stoneless soil, even though that might be in our inclination. Because listen, y'all, it feels so good to live in stoneless soil. Because I'm just going to have a whole lot of leaves and I'm going to look real beautiful. But the closer you get to me, you're going to see she has no fruit. There's like nothing under there. It looked real good from a distance, really good. But you get close enough to my life and you're like, wow, she's not actually bearing any fruit. I don't know about you, but I want to bear some fruit in my life. And if it takes being in the soil that's hard and difficult, okay, Lord, okay. Verse 8 tells us why he wants us there. And it's because he wants us to bear much fruit. We are to bear much fruit to his glory. He doesn't want us bearing a bunch of leaves. Beth Moore said that we might be inclined to wonder sometimes whether the ground where we're planted is trying to cultivate us or kill us. Welcome to the fruitful vineyard where grapes grow only in tension. I could have never dreamed that on the other side of moving here um, that I would eventually experience a faithfulness of Jesus I'd never known to that point in my life anyways. Like standing at the YVR airport, I could have never anticipated the miracles that I would see him do over the next however long we've been here, 12, 13 years almost. The way he would move mountains and surpass expectations and redeem so many, if not all, of the dreams that we had to lay down in order to come here. Like if you need some faith-building stories, I have got some faith-building stories because I saw him do it in my own life. When I thought our marriage was on the brink of something, I couldn't have known at that time that our marriage wasn't just gonna make it, but it would somehow get better and deeper because he put us here. I could have not, I did not know that the best was on the other side of being taken out of my very easy soil and replanted here. Don't despise the rocky soil is what I want to say to you. You can trust your vine dresser. Second thing, God not only plants us, he prunes us. Uh, You know what pruning is, I'm sure. It's when we get snipped at, snipped away. And I learned that pruning can happen to a grapevine for three primary reasons. Here's the first reason. I want to share them with you. The first reason is this. A grapevine gets pruned because it's injured. It's injured. Um, And I think that this can feel a bit backwards. Like, I'm injured. You're going to snip away even more at me. But uh, I found this very interesting. This is according to the Vine Dresser's Manual. Um, This is a book from the 1800s. It's my favorite research source. And it says this. Branches that have been injured by outside forces, such as hail and storm, must be trimmed back still so as to provide for new growth to the injured part. Here's the thing that stuck out to me when I read that. Branches that have been injured by outside forces. And I remember sitting at my kitchen table reading that thinking, outside forces, man, like we can do the thing where we're like, all right, here I am, I'm planted in the rocky soil, and you can just be there like trying to grow. And you can still get injured by some outside forces. And I wonder if some of us aren't here and that's us exactly. Like we have been injured by something outside of ourselves. Trying to be obedient. Trying to just 
follow Jesus as best we can, and then something happens outside of yourself when you just get injured. Maybe by circumstances, your job, maybe um, people, family, friends, maybe the church. Things that are out of your control and you're hurting. And you're wondering maybe why it feels like in the midst of your hurt, God would just snip away even more. But here is what I know to be true. That a vine dresser who does not care about his grapevine will just let it heal any old way. You're injured, nature will kind of take care of itself and it'll just heal on your own. But a vine dresser who cares, a good vine dresser, will come along and tend to those injured parts. They will snip away even more because that vine dresser is committed to not just letting the branch heal, but to heal well. So that one day in an appropriate amount of time, it will once again bear fruit. And not only bear fruit, but it will bear fruit in the very spot where it was injured. God is committed to seeing us heal well and to bear fruit again. The second reason a vine dresser prunes is because a grapevine isn't bearing fruit. In verse 2, Jesus says, The gardener cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. So we are meant to bear fruit. We are. And I don't know, like, I, that maybe sounds obvious to you, but I kind of grew up. Um, and, and I loved my, my childhood, I, I, my dad's pastor, and I grew up in a Christian home. But just kind of the era of church I grew up in was you kind of didn't talk about fruit because it, it was prideful. And so in order to stay humble, you just didn't talk about it. Um, and, and I understand that, and there is a line, there is tension. But I think that the good line is that we are meant to bear fruit, every single one of us as followers of Jesus. We are meant to bear fruit, we're meant to bear a lot of it, but never to our own glory. We're always meant to bear fruit because we're just making much of Jesus along the way. We're just bearing fruit and we're going, yeah, it's all about him. It's always been about him. It's never been about me. And we are meant to bear fruit, not a whole lot of leaves. He doesn't want us looking pretty on the outside but having nothing to show for it on the inside or underneath those leaves. I've got another picture to show you. Um, this is also from my phone. This is a better picture, though, I think. Um, I know. And um, th this was that same vineyard. And you just you go under and you lift up those leaves. Or, or actually, this one had been pruned. And um, the leaves had been pruned. And these are the beautiful, big um, grapes underneath. And it was so beautiful. Like, this is what we're meant to bear, is beautiful, big fruit. God wants that for us. He has designed us to do this. But sometimes he's got to prune off some things. Like, and they're not all bad things. Like, leaves, the leaves around this, not bad. Leaves are good. They provide shade. But sometimes God has to come along and prune off things, not because they're bad, but because for whatever reason, those things are preventing us from bearing fruit in a particular season. Things that have not always been bad, but for whatever reason in this season, it's like no more, no more. And pruning hurts. It, it always does but because God is a good vine dresser and he's committed to seeing us bear fruit, he'll cut away some things, even the things that we'd really rather hold on to 
have one more picture to show you, just so you can get kind of a, um, yeah, he prunes so that the whole vine can just keep bearing fruit, bearing fruit, bearing fruit. Here's a third reason that pruning happens. It's so that a branch can bear even more fruit. Okay, so here's an interesting thing that I learned, <clears throat> that pruning gets, actually gets more intense the, the older a grapevine gets. So mature branches must be pruned hard in order to achieve maximum results. And if you're here and you would call yourself a mature branch, you might be like, well, that doesn't feel awesome. <laughs> um, but you know, I, like, when I learned that, I, I just, I found myself filled with so much hope. Because I thought, oh, I love this picture that God sees older, mature vines that have been in the vineyard for a long time and doesn't just go, well, maybe we should pull it out. Maybe we should get rid of it. Maybe I'll just let that one grow wild. But he's like, no. He comes along and he's like, you have got so much life left in you. And he'll keep pruning and he'll keep tending. And he's like, I'm not done with you yet. I'm not done with you yet. Let's keep on bearing fruit. And that's amazing to me. That God doesn't just want us to bear fruit for one particular season in our lives. Certainly not just in what we would call uh, the prime of our lives, but for our whole lives. A lot of fruit, again, for his glory, for the long haul, for the duration of our lives. For however long the Lord would have you and I tarry on this earth, be it for another day or another decade or another 80 years. He is committed to seeing every single one of us bear fruit while we still have breath in our lungs, y'all. Like, I just want to, like, I want to, man, I don't, I don't know when the Lord will take me home. But I don't want to have a day where I'm just like, maybe I'll throw in the towel. And it's just my time is done. And I guess he's done with me. Because I don't think that's true for any of us. Worship team, you can make your way up. As the team comes, um, comes up, I just want to share one more interesting thing that I found with you. I found out that grapevines do not necessarily need other grapevines nearby um, to pollinate. They're called self-pollinating. Um, in other words, I don't know how familiar you are with this, but there are some trees or some plants where you need two of them, at least two, in order for them to survive. Um, and that's not true with grapevines. It really ruined the analogy where I wanted to say, we need each other to survive. Um, it didn't work. Um, grapevines aren't like that. They can survive quite happily on their own. However, I did find out that grapevines actually end up bearing much more fruit when there are other grapevines planted near them. In fact, their fruit production can increase by as much as 50%, which is wild. And so here's the thing, we may not need each other in order to survive. We can be siloed off and survive. But we need each other in order to thrive. We need all of the generations. Older generation, those of you who are here and have weathered some storms and remained faithful, like we need you. We need to hear your stories, we wanna know like, I feel like I can speak for so many in my generation. We want to know how you did it. 
How have you remained faithful to Jesus for your whole life long? Tell us the stories. How did you raise your kids to love Jesus? How did you do it? How do you grandparent? How do you great-grandparent? We need your stories. Middle-aged generation, around my age, I pray that we would be willing to listen and to learn from those who've gone before us while at the very same time giving um, opportunity to the younger generation and listening in to their dreams and their curiosity and giving them opportunities to step up and lead just as the people before us gave us opportunities to step up and lead. I pray we'd be bridge builders. Younger generation, those of you who are here and have what I would call like those beautiful beginning steps of your pilgrimage with Jesus, we need you. And if I can just speak like a mama bear, because I am one, our prayer for you is that you would be faithful, found faithful in your own generation. That when you think about your life and whatever it will look like, that no matter where God takes you or where God plants you, that you would find yourself both broken and built up in the presence of God in the midst of the people of God. I pray for you that you would love, love the church and the people of God, that you'd love the bride of Christ, and that as we pass on whatever we've got to you, that you would be faithful to carry the torch on into your generation and on into days that many of us in this room will never see. May it be said of you that you would be faithful. May it be said of all of us how do we remain attached to Jesus? How do we abide in him? In the good, the bad, and everything in between that 2024 and the years ahead will bring. Friends, we, we trust the work of our good vine dresser, where he plants us and when he prunes us. Let me pray for y'all. Living God, you are a good vine dresser and you are so worthy of our trust and I pray that for each person in this room and those watching online that as we take steps to trust you to remain in you to abide in you that we would bear much fruit to your glory in all seasons We love you, Lord. We're wild about you. May it be said of us that we did well in the time that you gave us here. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.